Welcome to Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge with your host, Carol McClelland Fields. Within each show, Carol and her guests explore topics that give coaches, healers, and other change catalysts new concepts, tools, and insights that open up opportunities to flourish personally, professionally, and financially. And now, your host, Carol McClelland Fields. Hello and welcome. I'm Carol McClelland Fields, your host. In this episode of Change Catalyst at the Growing Edge, my guest Helen McConnell and I are talking about finally resolving trauma. During this episode, we'll be talking about common misconceptions about trauma and how trauma begins. Helen's work involves helping others to resolve old and not so old emotional issues and creating a ripple effect of inner peace, compassion, and abundance. Welcome, Helen. Great to have you here. Thank you, Carol. It's my pleasure to be here. So when we were talking about the focus for this episode, I asked you, how did you find the work that you do now? And it struck me that you used a very specific word of searching. Can you talk to us about how that theme played out in your life? Oh, absolutely. I think that I was almost always searching my whole life. Um, When I was young, I was born into a family who was not only not religious, but wasn't spiritual. And I think I was searching for my spiritual roots, not always consciously, but still something always felt missing. When I was in my early teens, I started drinking and drugging and I became an alcoholic and a drug addict. And when I look back on that part of my life from about age 13 to just before I turned 30, I had this emptiness, this void, and I was trying to fill it. That's what the drugs and alcohol were supposedly about. And when I got sober, just before my 30th birthday, AA is a spiritual program. It's not religious, but it's spiritual. And I was willing to try anything at that point. Mm -hmm. It's, It's just always been a search. And even after sobriety, searching for deeper spiritual roots has guided my life more or less. And then I discovered tapping, which is what we're going to talk about, EFT tapping, or it discovered me, I'm not sure which. And mm-hmm. I went, oh my goodness, this this is the tool that I need to help me get to where I've been wanting to go. And my spiritual path, my spiritual roots, my spiritual connection has just gotten deeper and deeper through resolving old emotional issues that were in the way. You mentioned in our conversation that trauma is often misunderstood. And I love that because we do have a lot of pictures about what trauma is and what trauma isn't. And I wanted to take some time now to really talk about these misunderstandings about trauma and to learn more about how you see trauma. I am not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or even a medical professional. I'm a certified clinical EFT practitioner, so I know a lot about emotions. So this is my opinion based on my personal experience with myself and with my clients. Trauma to me is really any negative event 
that's happened that hasn't been resolved in the person's mind and body. That could be something as obvious as a car crash or going to serve in the military and experiencing the ravages of war or being a survivor of of devastating events. Those kinds of things are the obvious traumatic events, but then there are just so many more. And this isn't to scare people, it's to wake us up. Some of the little T traumas, we call them, that I have experienced were things more like feeling unloved by our parents, feeling rejected. If you've been adopted, oftentimes there's those types of traumas that people have a difficult time even recognizing or understanding. I just work with these things that are stuck. It's basically stuck memory, stuck energy, and we actually hold those sensations in our body, not our mind. So we don't even have to remember the event. But if you're feeling stuck around a certain part of your life, there's usually some sort of trauma involved. How does our society hold trauma? What do they think we should do with trauma? I think, first of all, we need to recognize that as a collective, our society is traumatized. We've had many generations of war and violence and trauma. So if our society is traumatized, many others are as well. First of all, those collective is going to have a different view. From what I read, and I do keep up on this every day, PTSD and other traumatic symptoms are often addressed by repression techniques or management techniques. And I don't think either of those are really very healthy or helpful. I like to help people actually resolve their trauma so they don't have to feel it anymore. They don't have to repress it. They don't have to get used to it. And they don't have to manage it. It just isn't a problem anymore. Beautiful. And so in the process of resolving PTSD or other levels of trauma, you mentioned that the nervous system is what is restored. Yeah, the nervous system is where those traumas are stored. Neurological memories are there. This is the way it's described in clinical conversations, is that when an event happens that is traumatic, it's as if we have a little moment or many moments frozen in time or frozen in our nervous system. They're not technically frozen, but we keep going back to that event. Anything close to that event, we're suddenly called into the past. We're trying to resolve it, but we, we never had the tools before uh, as humans and as a culture. And so we're not resolving it. We're just going back and becoming hypervigilant or overreacting to current events based on past events. And it sounds a little complicated, but I think it's actually more simple than we think it is for many. I'm not saying this is true for every trauma, but because some of them are pretty complex. But if you have a traumatic event and you start to resolve the feelings of it, the intensity of it, and you actually get that out of your nervous system, you will be amazed at what else shows up when you do that. We use this technique for all the levels of emotions that have been tamped down. And Mm -hmm. I just think that it's important that we stop tamping down our emotions. This is a whole new concept for our culture. Yes, for sure. I'm not suggesting that we don't control ourselves. In fact, I actually am suggesting that we learn how to actually control ourselves in a true sense. By resolving old traumas, we can do that. The tamping down we're doing more as a defense, as a trying to make it go 
away. But the resolution is a completion or a feeling of ease that's very different from trying to force it under the carpet or something. I think that's so well said. It's a sense of completion. Part of what causes a trauma, besides the obvious shocking part of it, is that we never got to complete the emotions that came with it. And even an animal that survives a close call, they run away, they shake it off and dissipate all of that emotion, then they're, then they're fine. Yeah. We don't do that. I'll give an example that isn't traumatic, just so people can understand the thinking, is that if you've ever gotten in an argument with somebody or a conversation with a boss and later you go, ooh, I wish I'd said this or ooh, I wish I'd said that, and you go back and relive it over and over, <laughs> and you just wish you had the opportunity to finish that conversation or say what you meant to say, I think trauma emotionally is very much like that. Oftentimes, our first trauma happens at such an early age that no child can figure this out on their own. We have techniques I like people to know. We're going to talk about that later. What is your biggest hope around your work with resolving trauma? What is the big why for you? Well, Carol, as I had mentioned earlier, I've been on a spiritual path of searching and enlightenment and I really think that trauma is one of the things that keeps people from compassion, forgiveness, enlightenment. My biggest why is to help as many people as possible actually have the opportunity to be emotionally free. Mm. So let's deepen the conversation now and let's start talking about where and how trauma begins. Everybody's <laughs> a little bit different, but I know for me personally, my trauma began when I was born. I I didn't have a traumatic birth per se, but, you know, I was born in the baby boom and babies weren't given to their mothers to be held when they were born in those days. I was Nobody was encouraged to breastfeed or anything like that. To me, that's traumatic to a baby to not be held. I was born into a family where there was already trauma. My father had a lot of trauma. We didn't call it that back then. We didn't even know what it was. But he had the energy or the frequency or the vibration of trauma, you know. And so as children, his kids did their best to fit into that family paradigm, that family vibration. And all this I didn't know at the time. I just recognize it going back. So I picked up a lot of trauma, trauma reaction, trauma sensation from my dad. And he didn't even, mm -hmm. like, he didn't even have to do anything for me to get it. I just needed to fit in. And so the, it can start there. Or it can start with an actual event. And it can start as early as in the womb or past life, all kinds of stuff. But it, some people claim their first trauma is much later in life. Some people say their first trauma didn't happen until they were 16 or 27 or, or whatever. And I'll believe people. But once we clear that trauma, we might find there's something mm. previous to that. Everybody has trauma. Right. Our assumption is that kids will just, quote unquote, get over it. Well, that used to be the thinking. Oh, they're young. They're resilient. They'll get over it. The, what I think has been misunderstood is that children will survive. Obviously, we survive this stuff. But are we really thriving at our greatest potential? Not when we have a lot of trauma. And we might even seem successful. I mean, I was a successful person while I was an alcoholic and a drug addict. I had a great career, <laughs> made lots of money. But was I happy? Was I joyous? Was I meeting my true potential? Not even close. Children will survive. 
but we want them to have the tools that they need to survive and then heal and then thrive is Mm -hmm. I think the way I would look at it. And then hopefully avoid sharing our trauma later on. Right. The term internal survival techniques, what do you mean by that term? The way I describe my own upbringing, and again, a lot of this I didn't realize quite at the time, but later on looking back, I was willing, because I didn't know any better, and kids don't know any better, don't assume your smart, brilliant kid knows how to do all this stuff. They don't. But I did not know how to be myself and fit in with my family. And Mm -hmm. so I was willing to give up who I was to fit in with my family. That's an internal survival technique. It's really doing what you have to do to make it. But often you put yourself and your needs on the back burner in order to make it. Yeah, unconsciously and unwittingly. And and, Mm -hmm. and then with that comes the message that I don't matter or my needs don't matter, that kind of thing. And and so we, we do all these internal survival techniques that end up becoming our belief system and they don't have to be. That's the other thing is when we resolve trauma, we release old beliefs that no longer serve us. Right. So what was survival can free up and become thriving. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. When an adult has a post-traumatic stress disorder or a trauma, and we think that's the first clue of trauma, What you're saying is it's likely that that traces back to an emotional pattern from their childhood. I I would go beyond it's likely, but they have actually done studies. I'm not a researcher Mm -hmm. myself, but I like to read other people's research. And particularly with military veterans who suffer PTSD, the likelihood of ending up with PTSD is much higher if you had childhood trauma than if you didn't. And I'm talking the big T, something major as a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you came from a house, a family that was loving and nurturing, and you go off to war, you're much less likely to suffer PTSD, even experiencing the exact same events. So you have more of the foundational skills and less of the... The the trauma foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What are the reactions that show us the triggers for trauma. Can you describe those for other change catalysts who are working with their clients? What are the things that they want to watch for? I'll give you kind of a basic list and people can monitor and question things themselves. But first thing I would say to change catalysts is one of your clients tells you something and you find yourself in a reaction to it. I would highly recommend you stop, and maybe not in the moment, but as soon as that session is over and do some of your own work. Because of the work that I do, I don't get triggered by my client's trauma. But that wasn't an overnight thing either. I used to, and mm-hmm. I had to do more of my own work. So in other words, think of it as a vibration is probably the best way of thinking of it. If you were next to something that was vibrating really strongly, you would pick up that vibration, you'd feel it. And then you'd start vibrating at the same frequency. So I always tell EFT practitioners, do your own trauma work so you can help more people. But if you notice your client having consistent resistance to something that they say they want to do, but they can't do, 
or, you know, they can't get themselves to do, that's one clue. It's just a clue. It's not a guarantee. If you see your client continually disassociating, if you work with your client face-to-face or on Skype or Zoom, if you see them dissociating, and Carol, I'm going to just ask you, do you know what I mean by that? I do, but I don't know that everybody would. So the way I look for people dissociating, and it, you know, it's a, it's a practice that I've developed. It's almost like they're not completely in their body, and they will tell you that if they can describe it, that's how it feels. They're not completely in their body, and you can kind of see it in their eyes. That's where it starts, or that's where I usually notice it. For severe reactions, I, I did a demonstration one night, and there was a severe reaction to something seemingly innocuous. I was doing a group. And this woman got triggered. So she actually looked like she was in shock and her hands were cold and everything. Wow. So I, if you have these techniques, it's a wonderful time to deal with that. I don't even know what her trauma was, but it's gone now. The best time to work with trauma is when somebody is already triggered. The other thing I notice is people overreacting, overreacting to a, an event or when they're driving in the car and and they're overreacting to other people or traffic or just a, a general sense of overreaction can be a symptom of trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, hypervigilance, where people are always afraid and always looking out for danger and stuff like that, usually a sign. Always the world is a scary place. That is a just a sign. It's like I said, these are not guaranteed. Addiction often is a symptom of trauma. It's a it's a way we cope with trauma. Right. Oftentimes people who have a lot of trauma can't really listen clearly to others. They might be standing there pretending to listen, but they can't really mm-hmm. hear what, what's being said. Yeah, they can't take it in. Simply not. You just are going somewhere else. The other one I wrote down was anger and rage. Any kind of anger or rage usually indicates something from the past, Mm -hmm. especially if it's uncontrolled, which anger and rage generally is. Rage especially is uncontrolled. When I see events in the news, I get a sense of oh, the person who perpetrated this event was traumatized, highly traumatized. Yes. Very unresolved in many cases. Very unresolved, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much. Yeah. So talk a little bit about flashbacks. Flashbacks, most people in a less severe kind of way. You can have a Mm -hmm. flashback and you just think, oh, that was just a memory. Mm -hmm. But... Many people have flashbacks where it's so intense that they can't be part of this current reality. Yes. And so they're reacting to their flashback and people think they're crazy or something. Mm-hmm. I say they're just not in their, their right mind, but they're reacting to something. Yeah. That when we do this work, especially with, we do a lot of veteran work, flashbacks stop happening. Nightmares stop happening. Oh, nightmares, I didn't mention. Consistent nightmares, that is another sign of there's something going on. Mm-hmm. Yes, the subconscious is working something out. How does it impact people's relationships? 
this is going to be my opinion, my experience. When I had unresolved trauma, I could not be in a healthy relationship. But that was a long time in the past. Here are a couple of reasons we can't be in a good relationship when we have unresolved trauma, big T or little t trauma. Imagine being in a relationship with someone you think you love, and that person says something and it reminds you of something your abusive father used to say. If you're in a relationship and they say something that triggers an old trauma and you go into a triggered state, you're going to react from an unconscious state. And you can't be in a good relationship when you're reacting from an unconscious state. You've got to be conscious, at right. least most of the time. I think, like I said, the, the small T traumas, like some people will get out of a relationship because something their partner did reminded them of something their mother said when they were five. But they don't always know that. They just push it away, push it away, push mm -hmm. it away. I encourage people to work through that first. Work through it. If you're not in a violent relationship, I'm not suggesting staying in a violent relationship at all if you can get out of it. But if you are in a nonviolent relationship, non-abusive, work through as much as much stuff as you can and then Certainly. decide if you're going to be in this relationship or not. So yeah, I think, and we're just talking about personal marriage partner kind of relationships, but friendships, but even more so in the work environment. Work. Yes. <laughs> oh, um, because they're reacting from their four-year-old self. I believe this work belongs everywhere. This mm -hmm. healing work. It'll be so powerful when more and more we have millions of people doing this work, but when more and more people are doing it every day, just for a few minutes, mm -hmm. ugh, I just have great visions for how that's going to transform things. So if people are intrigued and want to learn more, what's the best way for people to learn more about you and your work? Well, they can go to my website, of course, HelenMcConnell.com. From my website, you can schedule a 20-minute phone conversation. I have my previous podcast, the archives on my website, and I do a live event every month in Portland that's free. I will be placing direct links to resources that Helen just mentioned, and those will be on my site, which is flourishasachangecatalyst.com forward slash radio. You can also go to HelenMcConnell.com, which is her direct link to her website. Well, thank you, Helen, for all that you shared about finally resolving trauma and using trauma to lift our consciousness so that we can change the world. To explore the resources again that Helen has shared, go to flourishasachangecatalyst.com forward slash radio, and I will have all of her links. You will also be able to see links to all of our previous episodes of Change Catalyst at the Growing Edge. Thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for more ways you can flourish as a change catalyst at the Growing Edge. You've been listening to Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge on InspiredNewsRadio.com with Carol McClelland-Fields. Tune in regularly to hear more ways 
you can flourish as a change catalyst.